Heavenly Father, thank you for just being here this morning. And Lord, all of us probably ate breakfast here this morning. And yet sometimes we don't realize how undernourished we spiritually are. So pray, Lord, that in your grace and mercy, your word would minister to our heart this morning. Lord, we need your word to be like fire and like a hammer to pierce our own soul and conscience. Just as the Israelites trembled before you on the holy mountain, Lord, may we realize this God that we stand before. We pray that you would just draw near us today. We thank you for just being here this morning. We're thankful for a warm building to gather and worship your holy name and pray that each of us would truly engage to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. Salvation. You've seen your sin. You've seen your ungodliness and your rebellion before a holy God, which brings us to salvation. By the way, what, what does it take to be ungodly? You ever thought about that? Does it take some heinous sin to be ungodly? No. Really, all it takes is just living your life in no regard to God, as if God doesn't even exist as if God doesn't even matter. That's really all it takes to be ungodly. So salvation. Any way you recognize, you've recognized that you're spiritually dead in your sins. You've repented. You've trusted Christ to pay your penalty by believing in the gospel message. And you've now made a profession of faith. Now what? Now what do I do? Did I just get fire insurance? Did I just cross the line to salvation and that's, that's all there is to it? Do I just attend church? Serve with the church body and now I'm part of the church family and that's where it stops? No. Shall we continue in sin that grace should abound? By no means. The scripture says that all believers are to grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The scripture also says that we're to be conformed, we're to grow, we're to be conformed to what? To the image of his son, the perfection, the example the author and perfecter of our faith, were to, to grow and, and grow in the knowledge and grace and be conformed to his image, bearing forth the fruits of the Spirit. And, you know, isn't it interesting how the fruits of the Spirit, it says it's, it's love, and then you go to 1 Corinthians 13, and it just expounds more on what love is. We're to be made, we're to be like Christ, to make us like Christ that God would be glorified by your life. It isn't now just church attendance. It isn't now just some religious group that I'm part of. It's a new way of life. And we can look at that from 2 Corinthians 5, where the word of God says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. 
It's not just a remodel. It's a new creature. The old things have passed away. I know I'm not what I should be, but I know I'm not what I once was. I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There's now this new life because we've been reconciled with God. We're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So does it just stop at your salvation? No. What does it say? He's he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Going out in the world, being a light, demonstrating this new birth, this changed life. Not just a churchgoer. Therefore, we are ambassadors. You all know what an ambassador is. Ambassadors for who? Christ. As through God, we're making an appeal through us, an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are to be imitators of God as dearly loved children standing for truth and righteousness. Scripture repeatedly says that true believers are to have a changed, a new life, and growing in that changed life. You know, you can't read the epistles and not see that. You cannot read through the epistles and see, my life just goes on like it once was, but now I'm part of the family, I'm I'm going to church. It's a changed life. You, You just can't miss it. Scripture says we're no longer to be children tossed, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We're changed. We're new. It's a new life living for God. We are no longer to be children, as I read, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, the trickery of people by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. You may think, yeah, I know all that. How does that apply? Well, I can tell you, we're seeing it more and more in the United States, how this applies. And we're to be on our guard. And here's just two examples from the news this week. Headlines. The Methodist church split. How translations of a text divided a religion. The Methodist church is splitting into the United Methodists and the Global Methodists. Now here's some of the comments. You think this doesn't apply? One of the biggest forces driving a wedge between Methodists is the different interpretations of the Bible and other religious texts. The United Methodist Church has been in debate for many years over multiple issues pretty much separated by conservatives or progressive issues socially. The largest difference is the members' views on the LGBTQ plus issues. Doesn't apply to us? 
One pastor believes strongly that the people who are part of the LGBTQ community should not hold clergy positions within the church and said this idea comes from a literal interpretation of the Bible's text. That's where I'm getting it, he says. I believe in biblical authority. What value do you put on biblical teachings? What does the Bible actually say? The pastor said, we, we going to follow that. We're going to follow that. I'm one of those clergy persons that takes on a really high standard of the Bible. However, a split in the church came as some view the text more figuratively rather than literally. Tanya Barnett, not a member of the Methodist Church, however, she is a pastor of the United Church of Christ and said she identifies as a lesbian. She provided a perspective on the text, how the text can be viewed in many different lights. And I quote, she says, we believe it's not possible to interpret the Bible literally or to live it literally. She went on to say there are just too many translations that have happened and too many edits. Well, excuse me, what do you preach from then? How is any of it true? If you can't literally take it, if you can't take it for what it says, why even use it from the pulpit? I believe that Scripture tells us to trust and follow the authority of Scripture. What do you mean you can't live it literally? That's just one attack. Think it doesn't apply? How about this one? Losing their religion. Why U.S. churches are on the decline. Now, Ronaldo mentioned this morning, really, it's, it's not using, losing religion. We all have it. Everybody has some type of religion I think this pertains more to losing traditional religion, but everyone has a belief system. No one's exempt. Everyone believes something and has idols, but most generally, the idol is oneself. But this article says churches are closing at rapid numbers in the U.S. as congregations dwindle across the country and a younger generations of Americans abandon Christianity altogether. The closures, and he's talking about during the time of COVID, the closures, even for a temporary period of time, impacted a lot of churches. People breaking that habit of attending church means a lot of churches had to work hard to get people back to attending again. Excuse me? Breaking the habit of going to church? Is it just a habit? Is that all it is for any of us? Just a habit? We should be attending because we want to be here. We want to fellowship. We want to hear the word of God. Isn't that what Hebrews 10.25 says? Don't forsake the assembling together? It seems to me that they've forgotten the purpose of the church. They've forgotten what we've gone through, the one another's. Being there for one another. I don't think we had to work too hard to get people to come back. Because they want to be here. Hopefully that's you. In 2017, LifeWay surveyed young adults aged between 18 and 22 who had attended church regularly for at least a year during high school. So now this is after high school. The firm found that 7 out of 10 had stopped attending church regularly. What about you, young people? When you get out from underneath mom's dad's roof, what are you going to do? You going to be one of the 7 out of 10 who stop attending? Are you going to be faithful and continue in the church of the word of God that you've been taught? Are you going to stay with Christ? Or are you going to walk away? Dating an unbeliever. 
Oh, live together. That's, that's a good thing, right? What about sex before marriage? What are you going to do? You're going to be making choices. Staying with Christ or walking away. The lies of the world and the devil are just like in the garden. God's withholding something from you. God's withholding something good. Lie. God never holds with anything that's good for us. Some of the reasons it says were logistical, as people moved away for college or started jobs, which made it more difficult to attend church. But some of the other answers are not so much logistics. One of the top answers for leaving church was uh, church members seem to be judgmental or hypocritical. Now, you know, in reality, there is some truth there. What about you? What about me? Are we being hypocritical? Are we being faithful in our walk? Romans 2, 17 to 24 talks all about hypocrisy. But I also think in that passage, it says the name of God is being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Is that me? Is that you? Or are we being faithful to the truth of the word? God forbid that his name is blasphemed among the unbelievers because of me. I don't want that. I don't think you want that either. And then the fact that being judged, well, in reality, God's already judged, has he not? We're just ambassadors for the gospel, as I read earlier. And so the younger generation, it says, doesn't just feel like they're being accepted in a church environment or some of their choices aren't being accepted by those at church. About a quarter of the young adults who dropped out of church said they disagreed with the church's stance on political and social issues. Sad, but we stand by the word of truth. We're called to stand by the word of truth like Psalm 19 tells us. We're called to stand firm we're called to stand firm and not exchange the truth for a lie like Romans 1 tells us. We're called to delight in the truth like Psalm 1 tells us. And as we even read in Sunday school this morning, Colossians 2.8, see to it that there is no one who takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception in accordance with human tradition, in accordance with the elementary principles of the world, rather than accordance with Christ. And it says, while grandparents have been regular churchgoers, their children would say they believe in God, but not go to church regularly. How can that be? By the time millennials came around, they had little experience or relationship with, with church-going or religion. This really relates to you as well, younger people, grandparents, parents, like I said before, tossed to and fro, fro like a ball on the waves. Ephesians 4 tells us as a result, we were no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, doctrine by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. You see, people can twist scripture just like that one lady pastor. Oh, we don't take it literally. Oh, you don't have to take it literally. A lot of people who were weakly attached to suddenly have months of not going, they're then thinking, well, we don't really need to go. Or we found something else to do. Or thinking, well, it was hard enough dragging the kids along then and 
We, are all really, we really should start going again, maybe next week. I say they don't understand the purpose of the church. They don't understand about spiritual gifts and serving one another. They don't understand about building up the body of Christ. And hopefully we do. And finally, it says closures are often due to the failure of churches to adapt. Adapt to what? The world's wants? It says, yes, there's financial pressures that will close a church, but oftentimes it's more that they didn't figure out how to change when the community changed or they didn't have enough young people to continue the congregation for the next generation. We're believers. We make up the church. We have salvation. We have a changed life. We're born again. We're a new creation in Christ. Should the world change the church or should the church change the world? So you have a changed life. You are a changed life, or you did you just become somewhat of a religious person. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know what salvation or changed life is all about. If so, I would seriously consider your life and your eternity. You never know when that's going to come.